This morning we are uh, presenting the, the vision that the team has uh, put together, and, and it's an exciting time in the life of our church. Uh, I hope some of you were able to pick up the vision in the narthex in the past couple of weeks that it's been available and there's going to be more out there available to you. But I want to speak a little bit to it this morning. And as I was thinking, uh, normally I, I, I start with scriptures and then the word comes from there. This is a little bit more challenging because it's starting with uh, something that we've um, come up with and then to, to do the work and reflect on what are the scriptures that inform this. And, and so many of the scriptures were those that, that led into the work of the vision team that we looked through this past uh, summer, the, those, those foundational scriptures as we envision God's call upon a congregation. And so I'm going to look back at a few of those scriptures and then see how that is then reflected in us and in God's call on us in the vision. So the scriptures this morning, there's, there's four of them, very short, mostly just a verse except for the first one, which is Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I'm going to go on just a little bit past what he may have in the computer. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man with, of unclean lips, and I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. The next scripture is Acts verses Acts one through eight. What do we have on the on the? We have First Peter three fifteen. Let me, let's do that one next. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In Acts verse, chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And finally, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word. Guide us as we seek more than just to consider it, but, Lord, to live it. And what does that mean for each of us and for all of us? Lord, I thank you for your word, your direction to us. God, help us. Help us now as we look look at it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just following the service, as I mentioned, we'll be presenting the work of the vision team. And and I hope you take those just few minutes and and come to the meeting because the vision team was wonderful. It It was amazing to be with them and especially because God, I believe, was good to us. And we, get to, we want to share that with you. And the purpose of this project of having the vision team was simply to pursue an understanding of what God is calling us to in the ministry of New Hope Church and for the coming season together. What is the focus of New Hope's ministry to be? And part of the reason to do this during the transition process is that the congregation would own the vision, not, not just merely imposed upon you by a pastor. This is yours. But then in the search for the next pastor, you can present who you are and what you're looking for in leadership because of the direction that you're headed. Some of you have had that opportunity to take a look at the vision. Really, the back page of it that, that final section of it is, is the vision part. The rest is an explanation, the groundwork for where this vision came from. But that final section, and it, it comes with four, four points. Really, you could, you could name each one of those points with one word. The first word is gospel. The gospel, the good news. That's at the heart of everything we do and say, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel has been the identity of this ministry for as long as anyone here remembers. It's it's what New Hope has been built on, the gospel. And it remains the centerpiece of this and, and, frankly, any good ministry. Evangelism is the next word. We want to build a culture of evangelism. And I'm going to come back to this in a moment. The third word is hospitality. This this reflects the reality of the ways we've been able to serve the community among the many ways 
is that we are a host to a lot of things going on in this, in this building, the Montessori School, the, the, the Living Stream Church, the Ukrainians. The, the, there's a Central American church that's meeting here on Fridays. There's badminton, there's BSF, and, and there's so many other things going on in this, in this building that we are a host to. The, one of the strengths, one of the great assets of New Hope is our church building. And it's a building that right now is more than sufficient for all of our needs. And we have space to share and to touch the community with this building. And so, as going forward, we're meant to, to have at the core of what we do, hospitality. And then the fourth word is discipleship. Discipleship, especially across generations, through building intentional relationships. Now, I'll be speaking more to all of these in the coming weeks and, and months together, frankly, but this morning I want to focus on one, a culture of evangelism. To, be, to begin talking about a, a culture of evangelism, I want to first say something about the meaning of culture. What does that word even mean? A former professor of mine at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Scott McKnight, has written a book called A Church Called Tov, T-O-V, means good. And he writes, the culture in which we live teaches us how to behave and how to think. We learn what is right and wrong, good and bad, by living in a culture that defines these things. Now, a culture in that regard, it's not just a worldview. It's the worldview that we have put into action. It's, it's a culture is carried out. It's the character of the, of the leaders and the participants in the actions and interactions in our daily lives. That's our culture. And so to talk about having a culture of evangelism simply means that it's part of our lives to talk to people freely and naturally about Jesus, about our faith. McKnight goes on to say, a spirit-formed, Christ-like culture, on the other hand, nurtures truth, offers healing to the wounded, seeks opportunities to show redemptive grace and love, focuses on serving others rather than on being served, and looks for ways to establish justice in the daily paths of life. A Christ-like church culture ha has, always has its eyes on people because the mission of the church is all about God's redemptive love for people. Scripture reflects this culture of evangelism in the church in the passages that I read this morning. We are people who are ready to tell others what we see, what we know. We can explain the hope that they see in us because we see God working in our lives, in our church, in our world. We are absolutely realistic about the world, but have 
unquenchable hope. And, and that hope, even when you're, and especially when you're being realistic, it, it, it's visible. It's visible to others. And we can explain it because we can point to God and point to the story that we're a part of. All these passages reflect this. Isaiah, Isaiah saw God and was equipped by him to tell people about it, equipped to be a prophet. Peter tells us to be ready to explain the hope that people see in us. Jesus commissions us to make disciples, to point each other to God and train each other in this, all in his power. And Jesus in Acts calls us to be witnesses, witnesses. That's our identity. We're given many names in Scripture as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, disciples. But here in this passage, we are his witnesses. We are his witnesses at home and abroad, around the world, everywhere, to tell others what we see and believe and know. Now, I know this church, I know this church has a great heart to share our faith, not just to fill pews and coffers, but to fill hearts with the hope that we have, our hope in Christ. At General Assembly this past year, I don't know if I told you this before, but at General Assembly this past year, we talked about the main reason Christians give that we don't share our faith. And the primary reason was not that we're frightened of rejection. That's certainly a significant one, and it's, it's frightening to share our faith and, and be concerned about being rejected. But the primary reason, turns out, that we don't think is that we don't think we know how to. How do we share our faith? We don't feel equipped to share our faith. So, one of the things that we'll be doing in the coming months in order to build a culture of evangelism is to work on equipping us to be able to share our faith. And there there are a lot of tools to help us learn how to share our faith that we're going to be introducing in the coming months. One of them, one that our presbytery highlights, is called the Word One-to-One. You can find resources for it on the web at literally T-H-E-W-O-R-D-1-2-1.com. And it's a tool that encourages you to invite people to sit down and read the Gospel of John together chapter by chapter and ask questions that introduce our faith to people. And this past July, I introduced a tool that our denomination is encouraging. Uh, Reuben talked about it a couple, last week, I think, with the, with the youth group. And it's called the Three Circles. Do you remember that? And there are, there are many resources for it, including an app called Life on Mission. And I very much appreciate this tool because it is very simply an outline of the gospel. It gives a framework to, to everything in the world that we can see everything through and enter into conversation with 
It begins with the first circle. The first circle is God's design, creation. That's the first circle. Everything, everyone innately knows that there's a way things are meant to be, but we struggle to say why. It's because God created us according to his design and purpose and called it good. But we also, everyone knows, things aren't the way that they're meant to be. Sin coming into the world is our explanation, and now the world is broken. That's the fall, the second circle. And people talk all the time about what is wrong with the world and wrong with their lives, and all the time about what are we supposed to do about it. But ultimately, we know we can never get things to the way they are meant to be, not in our own power and wisdom. But this is where the good news comes in, the third circle, the gospel, the good news, redemption. God has come and is resolving the problem and, and bringing things back to the way things were meant to be, beginning with forgiving us in the work of His Son dying for us on the cross, by Himself in His Son Jesus dying for us, He paid the penalty of our sin on our behalf. And, and here's how we participate in the salvation, in His salvation. We very simply repent and believe. Give up on trying to fix it all ourselves and trust Jesus and His salvation, and then recover and pursue the life that we're meant to have, which will come in its completeness in when Jesus returns with a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, we pursue that life with ultimate hope, even now. So, we can see everything everything through these three circles and our part in them. And they tell the story of God that we're in. This tool, the three circles, is, a, is, a, is so simple that a child can share it. And it, is, and it is so deep that intellectuals and scholars can explore it forever. And it is a tool that is meant to be used in regular conversations. You can jump in when people are talking about what's wrong or the struggle that they're having trying to fix things or what they're thinking about, about the brokenness of our world. Uh, you can step right in. When, you, when people are talking about the way things are meant to be, there's, a, there's an opportunity to, to bring the gospel as well. It's, it's a tool, and with this tool, a key element to, to reaching anyone with the gospel is to begin and to remain in listening, listening. A silly thing I heard decades ago has stuck with me from Johnny Carson, the great talk show host of a generation before me. And, and he said that the single key to being a good host, to being a good conversationalist, is to listen. Is to listen. It's a, kind of a lost art in our world. 
But just to listen. What is especially exciting to me is so much of Scripture is just the realization that God hears us. He's always listening. And so as we reflect Him, we become listeners as well. This past couple of weeks, a dear friend who doesn't know God asked me in all honesty what I thought about the situation in Israel and Palestine. And honestly, nothing speaks more of of brokenness, of complexity, and no easy answers, and frankly, only more threat. And I shared that with him, but I also shared it as a person who has hope, not not in having or finding easy or earthly answers, but hope in a heavenly Redeemer. And the day after I had that conversation, I I heard a podcast of a pastor in Australia that I follow, Mark Sayers, and the podcast is called Rebuilders. I, I recommend it to you. And he explores at a deep level what is going on in society and cultures around the world. And last week, he focused on the situation in Israel, and he summarized the situation very well, better than I could. And he, and he painted, frankly, a, a fairly bleak and, and threatening picture. And he said that he had no good answers. But then he also spoke very clearly of his hope in Christ, a hope that leads us all to prayer and trust in Him. I shared that podcast with my friend, and I know that the gospel conversation is going to continue. But this is not just about listening to others as we stand ready to explain our hope and our faith. Even more importantly, listen to God. Listen to God. Jesus' proclamation that we are his witnesses began with this. It began with the promise of the Holy Spirit being with us, with God being present to us and in us. And so even while you're actively listening to others in conversations, always, always see God moving. Sometimes you'll know it's Him giving you the words to share. The apostles and acts are always praying for boldness. Be bold, not obnoxious, but speak the truth in love. And with listening to God and listening to each other and the world, we'll have a church, a culture, that is characterized by the gospel. The greatest adventure in life is to live in relationship with others. Our relationship with God is the centerpiece of that. But also our relationship with with our loved ones, people we feel closest to, our, our kinship, including our family, But that adventure is great also in our relationships with people that we don't know as well or don't know God as well. People we encounter, but we don't really know. And one of the highlights of that adventure is to share those relationships with each other. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was here with Heather and Jeff and my wife, Veronica, and, and Heather and Jeff are two people who have, Heather's been a part of our lives for over 30 years, and with whom we live with in Los Angeles. They're a big part of our lives, and they were up here, and I got to share each other, share you with each other. And one of the greatest parts of, our, of this adventure of relationship in life is sharing a love for God with each other and with others who don't know of Him. That, in essence, is what church is all about. A church with a culture of evangelism. So much so that it leads people to ask questions. Who are asking people who listen well and are full of hope. And and are ready to share the hope that they have in them, the things they believe and see and know of God and Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this adventure, like any adventure, (laughs) it's frightening sometimes. It's frightening to share our faith And very often we don't feel equipped. But God, help us to know the story, to know your presence and your call, and sometimes even, Lord, to hear the words coming out of our mouths that we know aren't even coming from us. But, Lord, you're working. You're working in us and through us to share your love, your grace, your goodness, your salvation through your son Jesus with the world and with those standing right in front of us. God, help us to be always listening to your spirit and to seeing those opportunities you are providing and feeling equipped to say something with all boldness and trust in you. We love you, Lord. We pray that this church would have a culture of sharing you with each other, sharing you with the world, and guide us every day and every way in that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Guide us in it, we pray. In the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord, amen.